It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend free edition. Justin Ferguson right here, Painter Sharpless over there. Hello, Painter. Happy birthday to Steven Seagal. Happy birthday, Steven Seagal. Painter, I hope you got that right because we have been pretty wrong about things recently. (laughs) I think that's going to be the crux of this podcast is how wrong we were about football things. I've been leading the way. I've been leading the way. It's amazing you're bad, what I can do when I put my mind to it. Your bad predictions are starting to rub off on me. I think that's I think, I think that's the, the the way we're going. We're gonna get we're gonna claim it. Not that I'm just you know. Excuse me, but, my dog that does not pay rent is talking. One moment. <laughs> All right. Well, Painter wrangles his dog. I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce the podcast. It is the Auburn Observer Podcast. Like I said, we've got a lot to get to. It's supposed to be a Saturday scrimmage. We're recording this on, on Saturday evening. Uh, open to, I believe it was going to be students and, and faculty members and the media were going to try to tag in on that, I'm sure. The rain, of course, in the area uh, pushed it back. They went on the end to inside and they ran a lot of stuff in there. It was a non-live frac- uh, scrimmage is what we found out from Brian Harson afterwards. Brian Harson, pretty long uh, press conference afterwards uh, where he got into a lot of stuff, which I, I, I very much appreciate uh, getting a ton of information at this point in time because we're about to hit a part of we're about to hit a part of the the calendar where we're not going to get a lot of that stuff, right? So I was uh, I was very happy to 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 have that, especially um, here for it, and, and we've got a lot to get to um, the scrimmage itself. Uh, we're going to have some chatter about Bo Nix, but I think ultimately, first and foremost, we got to start with the thing that Painter and I have been the absolute dead wrongest about leading the uh, way baby and that is mr jj pagese now some of you listening to this have been saying hey jj pagese should play on the defensive line uh some people who subscribe to the observer have been in the comments saying the same thing and i've pushed back we even talked about it on the podcast i've pushed back i don't um, like you yeah it was it was a it was a very it was a very uh, uh i was very Oh, we were confident, baby. We were. Oh yeah, we were were so confident. We were so confident. It's like, look, man, Armand's got a lot of defensive line talent. Pagis is going to have going to be a a learning curve that he's going to have to hit. He's not a gimmick. He can have more value uh, on offense than people give him credit for. And then, lo and behold, towards the end of his press conference on Saturday, Brian Harson gives a little nugget to us and says, "Hey, by the way, JJ Pagis is playing defensive line now." So. Chalk one up for Painter and I. We are wrong. <laughs> so this this is our apology podcast to you, to any of you who have tweeted, commented, listened, and thought these guys don't know what they're talking about. JJ Biggie should be playing the defensive line. You were right. We were wrong, and we're not afraid to admit that because we are wrong very often. Can't sneak anything past you guys. Yeah, too many of you guys were liking my tweet about my hot streak resuming <laughs> of incorrect takes, and I By think the- you guys are enjoying that, which is. You know, that's part of being the inner circle. You get to enjoy it, but I don't forget. People remember. By the way, our our collective master's pick of John Rom. <laughs> okay, well, we don't have to talk about that. Not either. even close. Right? We're not, like, we're he's not, not in play- golf mode right now. Yeah, he's not playing poorly. He's just he's just there. He's, he made the cut. He's just he's just been there. You know? That would be my goal. Just make the cut. Constantly make the cut. Make the cut. Just constantly make the cut. In a question about Nick Eason and about the defensive line, he said, J.J. Biggies is working with the defensive line. We have him working with him. J.J. is a guy who has done a tremendous job working with the offense. We made that move and put him on the defensive line. I had a conversation with J.J., and this is what I'm thinking. A guy like Pegues, and really, like anybody on this team, you got to have those conversations of, quote, anything you need me to do. He is athletic. He can do a lot of things, and I think the position fits him. I think he's a really great culture guy to be in that room. I think he's a leader on this team. The conversation I had and the conversation Coach Easton had, you want guys like that on the team that are all about whatever it is I need to make us better, I'm going to go out there and do it. And so I think that position for JJ is going to be a really good fit. I believe it was, uh, I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, tweeted this out earlier. Uh, One of my fellow beat members, I don't have TweetDeck pulled up in front of me right now like I usually do. but TweetDeck. they were making the point that since or since this new staff came on, a family member, J.J. Pegues, had told them that Nick Eason had been in his ear constantly and say, man, we got to play you at the, on the defensive line. And Andy Staples at The Athletic had a good point about this on Saturday when you know the news came out. And he quote tweeted and said, 
you can make a lot more money being a 300-pound defensive tackle who can move and be very agile than a 300-pound tight end uh, who can move and be very agile in the NFL. So, like, I think the people who were saying this about, hey, his future needs to be at another position, his pro future needs to be at another position, you were absolutely right. But I felt like, for us, you know, we kind of eyeballed that depth chart on the defensive line and was like, okay, well, do they really need him? Do they really need him to move there? Now it's a case of like not only do they is he moving there according to Brian Harson he has picked up on it real quickly and he says he's gonna he's going to uh, he's gonna be a quick learner um, just because of how well he had been prog- progressing uh, I should say on the offensive side of the ball he expects the same thing to be happening in defense and look man everybody knows he's got the body for it Mike Bobo said it himself a, a, a couple of weeks ago the only people you've ever seen like that are defensive linemen who say, oh, yeah, he's athletic enough to play on offense, and they never do. Well, now J.J. Begis is about to do <laughs> the reverse of that. So, Painter, I know there's a lot of Auburn fans who who love Pegues on the offense. Some people thought it was a gimmick. Some people are kind of happy with this move. I think Some people, some people thought he was a middle. lock to play tight end. I don't know who these people are. These, these insane people. But, Painter, as the voice of the fan here on this this here podcast, what, what are you thinking about Pegues making that move to defensive tackle? Well, I have to assume that it was an easy pitch for the coaching staff to say, hey, man, you want to make some money? And yeah. also, you know, I mean, you're right. Like, Harson's right. You know, the player has to be willing to buy in. But uh, I think if you're these coaches, you look at him and say, hey, man, there's some money to be made for you if you do this. And that, uh, that to me, is a pretty effective pitch. By the way, I believe, and you may have already said this, it was Nathan King who tweeted out. Pegues' father told me last month that mm-hmm. – Nick Easton has been pushing the idea of Pegues moving to D-line. So, there's that. Nathan's been on this kick lately where I try to quote tweet him and he ends up deleting the tweet. And I think he's doing it to make <laughs> look bad. So, me and Nathan, we're on, we're on thin ice right now, uh, young man. I want to shout out somebody else on Twitter for making a really good point. This was from, uh, this was from Rob uh, Herndon on Twitter. He said... I've told many that J.J. Pegues' future is defensive tackle. Jay Ratliff was an oversized tight end who turned into a Pro Bowl defensive tackle. This is the hope. Rob, I don't know if you're listening, uh, but excellent point by you. I hadn't even thought about the Jay Ratliff comparison, and it makes a ton of sense. Jay Ratliff, very much the same kind of mold. And they're like, well, maybe this dude, you know, he's really, really big. And like in the case of Pegues, he got even bigger this offseason. Let's let's go ahead and slide him over there to, to to defense and see how it works. And you know Auburn's defensive line is pretty deep, and Nick Eason seems to be very pleased with the guys that he's got there. We I mean we we rattled off him in the midweek show about kind of that pecking order we're seeing at the def- on the defensive line right now. But I think with Jeremiah Wright hurt, just looking to see who's going to step up and make an impact. I think Pegues, not only is this a move that will make sense for his future, I think it make it would make sense for Auburn's present. And uh, if he can use that agility and explosiveness on the offensive side of the ball, now on the defensive side, I, I think uh, I think he's going to be a really good defensive lineman in time. My thing going into it was just like, what was that learning curve going to be like? What was, you know, what was that sort of... Uh, uh, you know, need going to going to look like early on. And according to Harson, and you know, from what he said, seems like they they have pretty high hopes for him. And the other thing I want to point out to that is, you want to talk about the sign of a good culture and what you're trying to build, being a good teammate, which is just let me get a new a position. Yeah, they're just sitting there saying, like, man, like I'm sure JJ Pegues would love to keep scoring touchdowns. But he, you know, he's gotten a lot of attention for doing that, for having the ball in his hands. So you can get a lot more there's attention. A, there's by a being... world in which I could see him saying, no, I want to play tight end. It's fun. I get the ball. The crowd loves it. The fans love me. Yeah. Yeah. You can get a lot more attention being the 300-pound tight end than the 300-pound defense tackle. There's a lot of those guys. There's not very many 300-pound tight ends. But like Andy Staples' point was, it's about how much money you're going to make in the future. This makes sense as his line. And look, Nick Eason... That's another thing to keep in mind here. Nick Eason was the one who pushed for this move. That is an NFL defensive line coach. He's had plenty of experience in the league saying, you could do this and get paid for it very soon. Come on over here and let's, let, 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 let's get to work together. And I think that, I mean, that speaks volumes. Because it's not just like, oh, well, this kind of makes sense, you know, from a from a body perspective. But like... A guy like Nick Easton's already like, man, we got we we need this dude on defense. We need this dude on defense. 
it works out. I mean, I think there's been some position switches at Auburn here pretty recently that have worked out. Um, and I think Noah Ibanagini would have been a heck of a, a wide receiver if he'd have stayed at stayed at that on that side of the ball at Auburn. Uh, but he came a first round cornerback, you know, playing playing a playing uh, on, on the defensive side. So we'll see how quick of a learner he is and how much he picks it up. Um, because Igbenogany was a really good example. I mean, he he went from I've never played defense really since middle school to I'm going to be starting at cornerback <laughs> in week one <laughs> in the matter of a few weeks. Um, we'll see we'll see what JJ Pegues is like. Um, but I how think the Rob most of, being historically literate. Good job, yeah, Rob. That I mean, that's a perfect that's a perfect comparison, and uh, I'll be and one that I too was thinking of this entire time. Oh, for sure. Um, well, Rob just gave me an idea uh, for an off-season story. Once we get out of this, I want to dig into more about kind of going into the history books about Jay Ratliff and how he made all that work out. Anyway, um, the most important thing about this whole ordeal is, is this. We were wrong. We are often wrong. And no, 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 you, no, 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 no. You guys are, you guys, all right, at least I am often wrong. And you guys still uh, <laughs> listen well, and, <laughs> and follow on Twitter and, and some of you pay us money uh, to... Uh, to, to so give you, on, uh, yeah. our words. What's up? Uh, yeah, I think I got a little streak going right now, so I appreciate <laughs> all you guys supporting me. You guys okay. are great, and we love we'll you. Get to, we'll get to it in the later on in the podcast, but I got to ask, did you, did you think Wendell Green Jr. was coming to Auburn? Because if so, we'll give you that check. I mean, that can, that can bounce you right back. Yeah, okay, so I was... Uh, I was thinking that was going to happen, but I never publicly said it. So I don't think okay. I can take okay. credit right. for that. Well, you know what I'm saying? Mentally, like, I feel mentally like, we're going to give it a Yeah, win. yeah. We'll, we'll mentally, my win. headspace, my vibes were good, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, and go. you, you, along with a bunch of other people, have pointed out that, uh, you know, green fits the mold, if you will, some uh, undersized guards. But I'm sure yeah. we'll get there. Congratulations yep. to you all for being better at this than I am. Not <laughs> not necessarily difficult, but you did it. No, you did it. You did it. Um so, yeah, J.J. Pegues moving to the defense line. That was your big news that came out of the scrimmage. The scrimmage itself, uh, Brian Harson gave us uh, a, a lot about that. Sounds like, once again, and, and this was the same thing we kind of gathered from the open practice and the, the, the first scrimmage they had, the defense is ahead of the game. And usually defense is ahead of offense at this point in time. We, I, mean, I remember having this conversation two years ago when we were doing our show about how Auburn's defense was so far ahead of its offense during spring practice. And then I can't remember if it was Gus or it was somebody who brought the point up that on staff was like, look, defense is usually ahead of offense. Defense is a lot about effort. Now there's a ton of execution and, and being in the right spot and knowing what to do and fundamentals involved. But like offense is a little bit more on, Hey, we're building up and we're trying to get to this point. Defense, you can just beat the dude in front of you and just, and just tear up a play. Right. You can you can break something open right there. Offense, you need everything to kind of be everybody be coordinated and clicking at the same time. So defense forcing several turnovers, uh, a couple of fumbles, a couple of interceptions, according to Harson. Had a couple of defensive touchdowns as well, which I know Auburn fans can get excited about that. Um, because that this was is the old predicament. How excited do you get? You know, I think Harson even yeah. mentioned that. It's just like, all right, well, who's messing up? Yeah, who's exactly. doing well? Exactly. Uh, there was a great question by the great Mark Murphy of Inside the Auburn Tigers. God, I love him. Um, during uh, during the press conference, and he was like, you "Those know, tube we, socks are just strong, strong." Mark. See, he was like, uh, he, he was like, so what if you left the field on an eight day next Saturday? What would make you happy? And Arson was like, "I don't think I've ever been happy after a scrimmage or a spring game." He's like, because. Right. Because you overanalyze everything, right? Anything that goes well for the offense, you're like, well, why didn't the defense do do better? And vice versa, right? So I Which think is totally case, understandable. I don't think Harson's like alone in that, but also these guys are crazy. So, yeah, like, you know, but yeah, I mean, it is true. Like you're, well, you're, you're your making job. the if point. You're, if, you're, you can't, if you're getting paid millions of dollars, you better be overanalyzing this time of year. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, good gig if you can get it. Absolutely. Uh, we don't have that. Uh, partially because we're, we're, we're bad at figuring out where J.J. Pegues should be. Oh, I've not ever overanalyzed over, over any of this, clearly. Mm-hmm. In, in fact, I think we From are in danger of underanalyzing most of the time. Uh, I'll save that for the but pros. No, uh, uh, he did, uh, Harson did give a pretty funny answer to this, uh, to, uh, to Mark, and he said, like, okay, how about this? If the, if the special teams unit... If the special hmm. teams is executing well, I'll be happy because what that's if they the block one where... a field goal. 
It's a great question. I, it doesn't sound like they'll probably go live. On those. Right, they usually enough. don't. Like you remember how I'll like give in you spring this games, one, Brian. yeah, like in spring games, whenever they punt, it's like here's the long snapper, here's the punter, and here's the return man. Yeah, All right, yeah. let's see how far you can hit this thing. Like I think that's I think that's one of those things. We'll do they make them do any sort of sprints or anything? If like the guy misses, like everyone gets I'm out sure. of a workout because I'm that's sure. sort of like sure a nice team building activity. The one, but thing then you know, if you're the under- kicker and you miss, everybody hates you, which is, I guess, good simulation for real life. Yeah, the one thing they used to do with uh, with football, they used to um, Gus, of course, it's football, you moron. Um, they 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 used to do the thing where they would like create like a tunnel for uh, the the field goal team to, yeah, to practice, yeah. and they'd hit that long pressure kick, and they'd all be yelling. And like there were sometimes where it was like if you miss it we all have to run and then I'm sitting here thinking like all right if I'm a player do you think I'm trying to get in his head like you're supposed to be making noise and doing all this but like everybody shut you're, up <laughs> or you're just like you're just like off to the side at that point you're just being like you're like eh, like yeah I'm tired I'd like to go to get to go eat dinner now I'm a yeah, big boy hit it hit it Anders you can do it um but uh yeah I'm sure there's gonna be so more stuff like that. Uh, kind of the future. So yeah, special teams. Let's look out for special teams execution because you're right. Uh, anytime there's an offense or a defense thing going on, offense may you know, offense makes a you know throws a pick. Right? Is it a great play by the defense? Is it a bad decision by the by the offensive player? Uh, who knows? It could be somewhere in the middle. Right? Sometimes the quarterback makes the right decision, the right read, makes the throw, just great defensive play. Or hey, the play call wasn't that great in that situation. The defense had an answer for it, or vice versa. Big play on offense. Well, somebody fall down in coverage. Somebody bust their bust their assignment. Um, or was it just, hey man, you know, good offensive execution beats good defensive defensive execution more often than not. So I think that's one of those things where you kind of it's the Larry David gif where you're just <laughs> like, you know, and and or the Alonzo Morning one where he's on the sideline and he's like shaking his head and then he's, you know, and then he's like, all right, a little shrug. Yeah, just the, that nod at the end. Yeah, nod um, is a better word for it. One thing we did get to hear about the offense, though, and this goes to something that Sean Chivers talked about on Friday, um, Brian Hartson seemed to be pretty pleased with the offensive execution in the red zone, particularly in the ground game. Uh, it sounded like Tank Bigsby and, and Sean Chivers, which no surprise to anyone listening to this podcast, um, they're really good at running downhill. And they're really good at powering through tackles and getting, you know, kind of getting into the end zone that way. And when Auburn talks about getting more downhill, playing a more of a power game on the ground, part of that is going to be like that. Like if you have a really strong ground game, yeah, it's 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 really ho- helpful between the twenties, a hundred percent. We we all know that. But when you get inside the twenties and you get in the red zone and you get near the goal line. Having an offense that it doesn't matter how stacked the box is or how many people they commit, that you can still just power through and get into the end zone. I mean, that that's worth its weight in gold. And it sounds like Auburn is doing a really good job of developing that. That, you know, when you hear about what's the difference in the offense this year, what is this offense going to look like? You know, a lot of times you hear more about, hey, we're going to play some Powerball. We're going to go downhill. And I think Tank Bigsby and Sean Shivers are both Really good running backs to fit this scheme. We'll see if the offensive line picks up and kind of develops in that in that fashion with it. Um, but and again, you want to point out that some of the reason why the defense might have you know given up some more scores in the, in these red zone drills is because well they can't you know really tackle and bring them to the ground. It wasn't it wasn't fully live. Um, but I think a really good sign where Auburn fans want to see, like, can Auburn be better? And I know this is a problem that Auburn fans had towards the end of the Gus era. Like, got to convert a lot more in the red zone. Got to cash in with those opportunities. And this offense is going to be like, well, we've got a running back who breaks more tackles than anybody else in the country. And then we've got a little cannonball of a running back that is most famous for knocking people's helmets off. Um, I think we can. I think we can make this work. Oh, and we're going to put some more fullbacks and tight ends in this offense as well. So I think that's a positive development. And you know, defense sounds like they're farther ahead, which I think can be expected considering the talent they brought back on that side of the ball. But the offense that that's a good glimmer of hope because I think it's something a lot of Auburn fans have been wanting to see. Any rumblings about a man getting his due credit, DMX? Anyone talking about this right now? 
anyway, did this come up? Well, his passing and that he is getting his due credit for being a wonderful human being. Not in the uh, not in the not in the press conference, but I will say one of the I'd hope that they'd play a little music for uh, as a nod to him. Maybe, you know, see, this is why we have you on. You have to ask the questions that nobody else is thinking about right now. Very important questions. Although, you know, it has been pleasant to see people revisiting x and his music but i was not aware of the consensus of just like how it seems like the guy like really lived life in a admirable way which yeah has been pleasant because online interactions uh, that's not usually what people are talking about online especially about famous people um yeah what was it? it would have been thursday night when the first reports came out that seemed premature about his death Somebody posted the video of him riding the the thing at uh, looks like Universal or something like that in Orlando. This is big ride with his daughter several years ago when she was young, and him comforting her and like talking her through it uh, was like one of like the like the most purest forms of like that that parent child bond and that and it was it was incredible to see that to see this dude. What he's famous for as this as this rapper who's rough around the, around the edges and and you know was very straightforward about it and, and as an artist being this like tender and like comforting dad it was it was a really it was a really uh, touching thing to to watch so don't know I don't know about the DMX connection uh, well I can't say I'm I can't say that I'm surprised Brian Harson you know we didn't just didn't bring about. it up unprompted you know I mean yeah. That would be a, that would have been a good thing though because I know several players were tweeting about it. I think his peak was before these guys' time. Still was uh, pretty pretty cool to see some of the some of the reactions that, that people have had. Switching back to football, the offensive line. The the word that <laughs> that Brian Harson used about talking about the offensive line was consistency. So there are flashes mm-hmm. when all five guys are working together and all five guys are coming off the ball and they're on the same page and they're on the right slide and set when it comes to pass protection. Um, but it's just got to be consistent. Uh, and this is me talking now. It's just got to be consistent. One of those things is that this offensive line, the way they're building it up is going to be interesting because, again, as we say pretty much every time we talk about this offensive line, one of their key players from last season is not out there right now. And there could be more coming in. They could be changing positions and all that, but they're trying to make the most of it right now. I know a lot of Auburn fans want to talk about uh, the offensive line, and it sounds like you know defensive line's doing well. They're you know Nick Eason's getting them going. The pass rush is starting to kind of crank up and get together in this new scheme. But the offensive line's trying to hold its own. It's just going to be consistency. It's going to be a consistency thing for them. And like you're not going to get that consistency until you get to fall. Like it's it ain't coming. Because you don't have Brandon Council out there yet. What you learn in spring is so that you can have it on film and have it out there so you know what to work on specifically in the summer and when you get into fall camp. So um, I know there's a lot of people asking about the about the offensive line. And it sounds like the work's there. The fundamentals are coming on. There are flashes where this offensive line looks like they really, really are, are – turning a corner main stride but it's just it's just that consistency and that's the ultimate word i think when it comes to this in this offense in general need my large boys to be on point this year yeah and at least at least we were right about jj biggie's not moving to the offensive line we, we just got dead wrong that he's gonna move <laughs> to the complete other side of the ball i think that's gonna be i think that's gonna be the case speaking of consistency painter let's talk about bo nicks Shall we? Ooh, what it's a segue. Always, what a pro. Always, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm having to make up for, for, you know, what we got going on, you know. I, Known for his segues. Um, you know, I got, I got to make it up to the people for being wrong. So, Bo Nix, we all know it. We've said it all this offseason. This is a quarterback that looks like a five-star at times. He makes wild throws and wild plays. It's just consistency. This guy's been a below 60% passer. He's had some well-established issues with certain aspects of his game. Now he's under new coaching staff, new offense. He's having to kind of put it all together. I asked Harson about it, as I said earlier. I asked Harson about, you know, Bo, how is he picking up his offense? And his answer was a little less than a thousand words long. He had something to say. 
he had something to say. He said, Bo's smart, Bo picks it up. And all those quarterbacks, they picked it up. And then he went into this thing where he was talking about, and I thought it was fascinating. You should read all 900 words. Yes, go read read all 900 words when somebody posts a transcript. He goes into this thing that, is really interesting to me because like there's a lot of quarterback play, you know, it's the most important position on the field and you try to learn as much as you can about it. But like, I don't know a lot about it. And it's always interesting when you hear former quarterbacks or quarterbacks themselves talk about what it takes to succeed at the position. And he's saying like, they've got the base of the offense right now. Like they've installed it. It's the DNA. They've got the fundamentals. And he says, now what we're doing here in the second half of spring is we're starting to introduce some options. What happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? Here's what happens if the defense shows this. Here's what you do if the defense shows this. Here's what happens if, you know, we can come on. This is, you know, your progressions, your options, what to do when things break down, all that stuff. The thing that turns the offense from, here's the skeleton of what, here's the base, here's the plays that you call up on Madden or NCAA, but here's all the possibilities that come off of it, right? That's kind of the the thing is because when the bullets start flying, you got to be able to have answers and you got to be able to make it all work. One of the things he said was, and he went into this long uh, talk about it. He said the one thing that makes a quarterback a truly great quarterback is decision making. And now this is not breaking news to a lot of you, but hearing him kind of go into detail about this is like it's decision making, right? You have to be physically strong. You have to be able to make the throws. You've got to be accurate, right? You've got to have all those things. And he said, and Bo Nix has these things. So, but what separates guys who are really good at, you know, really good athletes playing quarterback and guys who are great quarterbacks is that, can you make the decisions? Because it's a lot of this, this game, especially for the quarterback spot, is mental. And do you have what it takes to when the bullets start flying, you know where to go and you know where to be and you know where, where to come through. And Painter, this is what we've been talking about about Bo Nix because there have been times where, to the naked eye, to the you know untrained observer, whatever you want to call it, we watch him sometimes his first couple of seasons and it's like he doesn't know what to do here or it doesn't seem like he's very decisive on what's going on or you know maybe he's you know, bailing out of that process a little too early. Like, you know, he's dropping his eyes. Uh, he's bailing out of the pocket when he can stand in there and probably go through his progressions. You can tell from what we've heard from Mike Bobo and now Brian Harson and Bo Nix himself throughout this spring is that they are really harping on him. It's like, man, we know you've got the arm. and We know you got the athleticism, right? But to be in this offense and to play to what we want to be, You've got to be able to make all these decisions because that's what goes from a you know the base of what we're doing to all that it can be, and that's what's going to make you a truly great quarterback and get you up to the level you're supposed to be at. It's important to note that verbatim he compared Bo to Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. People, yeah, well, not not necessarily. <laughs> let's let, let's 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 give the context here. He said. He said, if you go, he said, if you go back and study the position, you see a guy like Aaron Rodgers. When Aaron Rodgers throws the ball away, everybody's like, great decision. He's like, it doesn't matter if it was a good decision or not. Everybody just says, whatever Aaron Rodgers just does is like, that was the right move. People like me who get things wrong a lot are like, well, that guy doesn't get it wrong a lot. So Yeah, and he said... He must know. He must know. He said, everybody knows Aaron Rodgers knows what he's doing. We've given all Aaron Rodgers all the credit that says, hey, whatever he does, he knows what he's doing. Tom Brady, he throws it away, he knows what he's doing. Those guys have earned that. It's because they've had such a good run of being great decision makers. Right? How many times have we seen in playing quarterback, playing a position you know, in the NFL, a guy might physically have it all, right? And he can't stick. Because when the bullets start flying, he makes wrong decisions, or he doesn't know where to go, or he doesn't know what his answers are when a defense throws it at him. This is what separates him. Let's give an example that, that, that'll be, be good for you, Painter. <laughs> when the Buffalo Bills drafted Josh Allen, everyone knew why. He was To tall. talk about the Constitution. Yes. He was tall, he had a <laughs> cannon of an arm, and he was, greatly, he was a great mobile quarterback right, at Wyoming. Never mind the fact that he was woefully inaccurate, but he had the tools, and he had to work it up. And then last season, you saw a quarterback in his third year in the league 
nowhere to go with the ball. It wasn't just, okay, let's see what's next, you know, kind of, kind of plays. He Fired was more in decisive there. out there. He was more decisive. And when you're decisive and know where to go and your decision-making is good, that's, that maximizes your arm strength. That maximizes all the things that make you a really good quarterback. Bo Nix has got to be in that same boat. Everybody knows Bo, Bo Nix was rated a five-star for a reason, right? Like, he, he can do it. He makes wow throws pretty much every game he's in. It's just that consistency, right? And he's got to improve the mental side, the, the, the decision-making, the, the awareness, the reaction, all that stuff in this new offense to take him to the next level. Because when things break down, he can make plays, right? He can get out, he can get out of danger, and he's agile enough, and, and he's going he's gonna to make some stuff happen. And sometimes things are going to go really, really wrong. But one of the things that Harson said, he said, when you play quarterback, we want every one of our drives to end in a kick. We want to take care of the ball, right? We want to put ourselves in good positions to score. And you can't do that if you're making bad decisions, right? Because that's, that's, you know, that's when you start throwing interceptions. It's when you start turning the ball over. It's when you start punting it is when things start to go awry for you. And hearing him kind of go through this, this process is really interesting because he he talks about how quick Bo Nix has been of a learner, and he picks it up mentally really, really well of this offense. Now it's just like, all right, man, what do we do here? You know, guy breaks open, you know, uh, and and is coming, you know, coming right at you. If you got a guy in your lap on a, a defensive tackle, just busted through the interior line, and he's coming right at you. What do you do now? All right, what do you do if the defense calls this coverage? What do you Throw do at if, him? <laughs> go for it get out of here man what do, you, what do you do if your first read's not open what do you do hey if man you know the thing open? when when do you decide to tuck it and go when do you decide to play? like those are all the options that he's got to do and he's like you got to be decisive you got to be a really good decision maker and that's the thing they do because if we just had a pure throwing contest he, you know bo Nix would be fine he would be pretty good i mean he was an elite 11 quarterback for a reason right he's got the, he's got arm he's got the physical tools but Playing quarterback is not about being a good thrower. you got to be a good passer. And then even on top of that, you got to be a good quarterback. I was listening this week. Our buddies at Split Zone Duo, Richard Johnson and Alex Kirshner, we're going to have Kirshner on uh, the podcast here towards the end of the month, I think. Um, so Kirsch keep daddy. Eye, keep an eye and an ear out for that. But Richard did a podcast where he talked to uh, uh, two guys, Derek Clawson and uh, Ben Solak, who do NFL draft stuff, and they were talking about quarterbacks. It's like this two-hour Patreon podcast that they did. I, I thought it was awesome, um, where they kind of dive dive into like what happens. And there was so much in there where they were talking about, like, hey, this guy, do you have your answers, right, at the quarterback spot? Do you know what you're doing when it goes to this? And 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 people talk about, like, a guy like Justin Fields. Oh, he throws his first read too much. Well, sometimes that's what the offense is asking him to do, right? Sometimes it's just a simple RPO and they just have better athletes than than the other side and it works, right? Um, you got to know what you're being asked to do in the offense and that's how you grade a quarterback. I think it's the same thing when you see with, with Mac Jones. Mac Jones got the pleasure of throwing the ball to Devontae Smith over and over again. You know why? Because Devontae Smith was probably going to be open. And, you know, Steve Sarkeesian was really good at scheming those dudes open. And... You got you to deliver it and just be quickly, hey, there it is, boom, go for it. And I think that's the thing now, in this more of a pro-style offense, what are you asking Bo Nix to do? What, is his an- what are his answers going to be, right? What are, what, are his, what are his solutions to when something breaks down, when a defense does this, when a defense does that, how do you do that? And it's got your decision-making has to be on point because if it's not, well, that's when you start turning the ball over, that's when you start making mistakes, and that's when you become an inaccurate passer. So. I think it's very interesting when we hear about what are they working with Bo Nix on the most. Everybody's like, oh, he's got to be a more accurate passer. And like he alert, you know, he alludes to that. Yes, you have to be accurate. You have to be an accurate passer to make it in this league. But also you have to be a really good decision maker. And them harping on that with him, I think is going to be, it's going to be interesting how that evolution comes. And I wonder what kind of Bo Nix we're going to see next Saturday uh, at A-Day because of, you know, just a different way of kind of approaching the, the whole, the whole ordeal. Been watching a YouTube video about the anatomy of a headshot. I need Bo to be deadly accurate, baby. Come on. The anatomy. Put it all together. All right. 
Are you already yeah, no, like, just picking up of, contracts or something? So interesting. I've been doing some self-help by watching Connor O'Malley videos, and I don't know why, but I think it references this off of the O'Malley videos, which really doesn't make any sense. I don't understand what the algorithm's doing here, but I thought it was a nice little tie-in. You know, we need Bo to be accurate. We need Bo to put it all together. All right. Mm -hmm. So come on, Bo. I know you've got it in you. I've got a lot riding on this, like my pride. Yes. Yes. Your, your pride is, is, is of the utmost importance for these, for these guys. <laughs> um, is there anything else we want to hit football wise uh, before before we move on? I wanted I wanted to real quick. We talked on Friday. We and we mentioned Sean Chivers and the offense and Tejon Manning, some of the consistency things. Um, you know, earlier the offensive line. Chandler Wooten also talked. Really cool to see Chandler Wooten back out there uh, for Auburn. Uh, this guy who opted out last season due to COVID issues. He's becoming a father for the first time. He was talking about how, um, you know, how much of it. You know, no matter how tough practice was during the day, no matter how tough the workout was that he gets to go home and gets to see, gets to see his kid. And it just makes it all, makes it all worth it. And that was cool hearing him talk about it. And everything we've heard from Auburn's staff about him is that he has been, you know, it was a little rusty maybe early on physically, but he's been able to pick up right where he left off. I think he's going to be so, so valuable this season for this Auburn team because painter, we all know that is Kobe McLean and Owen Papo. Got a lot of tread on those tires last season. <laughs> they took so many snaps. They were out there. It was outrageous. All the time. All the time. So having a guy like Chandler Wooten at, back out there to kind of shuffle in and, and, and do some things like that, I think are going to be really, really key uh, for this team. Sounds like Cam Riley's a guy that's coming on as well at the linebacker spot. And uh, there will be a lot to, lot to get to. I, I think we can – hopefully the weather will cooperate fully next Saturday. I have a normal A day. Uh, Harson said we want to be able to pack out this place as much as we can, which I think we all know that uh, Alabama and the United States of America in general are doing a whole lot better with uh, with with COVID. The deaths are going down. The cases are going down uh, pretty drastically. Vaccines are going up. We're getting those shots up. Wednesday's right. my second shot. I'm ready to roll. We're getting we're getting ready for it. Auburn started selling uh, spring game tickets. They were at ten dollars, I believe, and they were selling them in groups of two and four, like seated together. So it sounds like they're just going to have distancing and all that. But there's been some new changes and regulations that we'll kind of find out more about next week. But looking forward to seeing more people at Jordan Hare. Looking for forward to some safe and enjoyable spring football, and uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, of course, next week on the podcast here on the weekend one, we will recap everything that goes on at A Day. Uh, and then the midweek, we will uh, we'll get you we'll get you set up. And Painter, how can the people make sure that they will be able to hear us probably get some more things wrong on the midweek episode? <laughs> Rate, review, subscribe. But Ferg, uh, I don't want to speak out of turn. Well, I don't really care that much. Yeah, but go the, for it. Um, the Auburn Twitter account has deleted a couple of decent posts recently. Uh, uh -oh. They got in on the action with the canal stuff. A while back, I think they actually put that tweet back up. So credit to them uh, for doing the right thing. And then I think I saw a fellow beat member, uh, Josh Vitale, pointing out that there was a nice Sean Shivers uh, run. You just mentioned it, so it was in my in my beautiful head. Uh, he absolutely domed somebody. Ooh. So it was Malcolm Malcolm Askew, who another guy who didn't play last year and came back in and. Um, and by I, all I accounts, want, is doing well, right? Like that, it's yeah. just one play. But I mean, Sean won that play. <laughs> yeah, well, Sean's going to win a lot of plays when he gets one-on-one -on -one with guys. Um, I wonder, I do wonder if that was one of those videos that you take down where you're like, oh, yeah, this is... Let's not try to dunk on our own players. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if that was for Malcolm's benefit. Um, but yeah, that seems it seems to be something there. Eh, you know, it's early. It's, it's the off-season for everybody, Painter. We're under a new scheme and a, a new system, trying to get those things rolled out. Got to iron out has all those the, days. Yeah, man. Iron out all the wrinkles. But rate, review, subscribe, people. You're yes, doing sir. a great job of this. Please continue to do it. It helps us tremendously. If you want to leave us five stars, we'd love that. If you want to say yes. something nice, we'd also love that. It uh, helps us. Rate, too. review, subscribe. Yes, seriously. In all seriousness, I'm being a little flippant about this. Five star reviews and um, writing, actually writing something out does a lot for the algorithms and stuff like that. So y'all are. Those of you who have done it already, we appreciate you so, so much. Um, it makes a big difference uh, for us.
us. And so we appreciate you guys doing that. And remember, as per the rules of engagement, when you when you write a review in iTunes, Apple, whatever we're calling the podcast app, you have to only say nice things about Painter. Some of you have done a really good job of that. And if you do that and you follow instructions, well, we'll read it out on the podcast and tell you how smart you are. So keep that going. Uh, in all seriousness, appreciate you guys helping out. Six dollars a month, sixty dollars a year at AuburnObserver.com gets you access to everything we've got going on, including that midweek podcast episode that is only for the inner circle, as well as all of our stories. Speaking of stories, oh, another, another good segue. How sweat. about that? My God! So Saturday, <laughs> so Saturday morning, uh, I posted, sent out for all of our uh, all of our subscribers uh, the latest in our what. Blank is bringing to Auburn basketball. What Auburn is Auburn basketball is going to get out of blank, I think, is a more um, straightforward one to go about it with. Uh, Jabari Smith, we did one earlier in the year. Jabari Smith, Trey Alexander did one recently on Zep Jasper. And now we've got another player to talk about, Painter, because Auburn's got a new point guard and, more importantly to you, a new short king. That's right. I mean, relatively speaking, I guess, what is he? I've seen 5'11". Five five I've 5'11". Yeah. So let's go with 5'10". In terms of basketball, that is short. In terms of the national average, he's doing pretty great. He's doing great. But yeah, Auburn's got a new point guard. Wendell Green Jr. out of Eastern Kentucky. Been a target for Auburn for a while. Was a guy I mentioned last week about, hey, if they're going to replace um, Sharif Cooper, who, who would they go after? This was a guy who was pretty high up on the list. And here he is, Eastern Kentucky. He's a fascinating transfer tale. Uh, of Wendell Green. For those of you who might not know, let's get it real quick. Originally from Detroit, uh, he played his prep basketball at La Lumiere. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, in Indiana. A uh, really high caliber program. Went to the uh, went to the national title game for high schoolers uh, in the 2019 uh, season. Um, I think he only lost one game as a starting point guard there. Hmm. Really, 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 really top-notch player. Who he, pulled that off? He only had one. He only had one power conference offer. That was TCU, Eastern Kentucky. Was the was one of the higher ups on the mid majors, and you can see why he went to Eastern Kentucky because they play a brand of basketball that is really, really fitting to his game. Uh, Eastern Kentucky last season second fastest tempo in all of college basketball. They also top ten, or I think it was top five actually, turnover percentage and steals a team that presses and runs and runs and runs for all 40 minutes you can see why bruce pearl would want to bring a guy like that into the system right yes <laughs> I, lo- I love it when you have just the yes just no no further comments Ron. sterling analysis per usual um, i mean you make the case here i don't think i have to go very yeah. deep here on the armchair and also i mean just off the dome uh, quite a lot of short kings have prevailed at that position for right. for Pearl. So let me just say, I'll get out of the way now. You you watch him on film, and I don't know, Painter. You 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 watch the same you know clips that it had in the story and and all that. And we've been talking about Wendell Green for a while when Auburn started recruiting him. You watch him and you think, oh, here comes Jared Harper 2.0, right? Like he's got Jared. He's got a lot of Jared to his game, and he's got a lot of he's got. Maybe not quite a lot of, but he's got elements of Sharif to his game for sure. Oh, that little Hezzy move is nice. Uh, you pointed out he that he that will one. just pull up he from the logo. Him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like towards the end of the Nadia. year, when he was scoring 20, 30 points a night. I mean, he was just unconscious kind of range, which makes sense, right? You know, the smaller you are, the better it is if you can hit from deeper, right? Because, you know, the farther back you are from your defender, the more room you're going to have to operate. You can be a really good three-point shooter from right on the line, but usually you got to have a little height to get it over those guys. He's like, hey, you're going to have to come out here and, and get me um, because I'm going to pull up from the logo. I'm going to pull up from the timeline. And then that extends the defense out, and he get, he's got that full bag, bag of tricks to work with. What were you saying? Oh, I don't think I had anything productive to say. I just expect this guy is going to be fantastic for Auburn. I trust Bruce's scouting at this point, shall we say. Especially the point guard spot. Especially yeah, he's done all right the, there. Yeah, And also, I mean, you, you know, I'm far from the only person to point this out, but he was doing quite well for himself as a freshman, and uh, the teammates are going to be better this year. 
Yeah, Eastern Kentucky, they had a dead eye uh, three-point shooter uh, uh, on that team. Had a couple other guys. He had a had a big man, that uh, pretty athletic big man, that he liked to run the two-man game with a lot. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this not even close to what you're going to get at Auburn when you start throwing the ball to guys like Jabari Smith. I mean, the pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop combinations with Jabari Smith alone are going to be fantastic. If JT Thor comes back, that's another one to, to look out for. Um, Fascinating. What's going Jaylen on? Jalen Williams? Yeah, uh, we'll see. We'll see what's we'll see what's going on there with Thor. Um, it, it's he he thrives in the pick and roll situations. He is a pretty decent three point shooter. I think he was thirty seven percent last year, and he had a pretty high volume of attempts. Um, three level scorer. He pulls up from mid range pretty well, kind of like Zep Jasper, a dude who can go get his own shot off the dribble. Um, you know that he isn't necessarily. I mean, a point guard, you de- you definitely want to have that as a point guard. But, you know, some guys can be very reliant on the catch and shoot. He he seems to be pretty pretty good at, at pulling up on his own uh, off the dribble. He's got, like we said, that wide range of moves, that hesitation that he's got is very, very nice. Crafty finisher around the bucket. Not the most efficient finisher in the world, but he's shown an ability for his size to work through contact, to work around people. He's got... He's got a nice little layup package, uh, if we're speaking in 2K terms. Um, he's uh, very, very crafty. I think that's the best way to put him. He is a crafty player. And again... Didn't he reference this... 2K? <laughs> okay, so his bio at Eastern Kentucky is amazing, because like at the bottom, it's like, hey, let's get to know Wendell Green Jr. And like, he was like, why did you pick Eastern Kentucky? And he was like, basketball reasons. I'm like, all right, this is a man who knows he's about his business. Um, but the second question is like, what is something that, uh, people don't know about you? He's like, I'm actually really bad at 2k. And I'm like, I'm, I'm glad that a good basketball player is bad at 2k. Cause I am also terrible at 2k. This is, NBA 2- limits. this is NBA 2k, by the way, if we're talking about the, uh, the new tiger, uh, not tiger woods, PGA tour, uh, 2k game, anybody can get that work. Just, just keep that in mind. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it was, he he's just a he's just a really creative, crafty playmaker. He only played one season. Uh, went once guys are going to be, you know, kind of cleared to be eligible, as a lot of people expect with a one-time rule. It's supposed to be passing later this month. Um, fingers crossed. There, the NCAA will do the right thing, but you never know. Um, it would be just right on <laughs> brand if they were like, actually, bleep off. With so many, with so many people in the portal, like think about how many transfers there have been in just in college basketball alone. I almost year. think that because everyone's like anticipating that happening, that they're like, you know what? Actually, actually, We're you guys need to this. learn a little bit about commitment. Um, Don't quit on your team. Yeah, a message from the from the NCAA and viewers like you. Uh, it's it's the the thing that is really impressive about um, about Wendell Green is that he does everything really really quickly. Like he played this this breakneck speed, and he was the driver of that. Like Eastern Kentucky had already been a fast team in the past. They put in a true freshman point guard and got faster this past season. Like he wants to go really really quick down the floor. If he gets a steal, he had his uh, steal percentage was just under three percent last season. That would have been by far the highest on Auburn's team last season. Not you know he's not Zep Jasper. He's not going to be just the honey badger lockdown in the backcourt kind of guy, but. He can be very smart about when to swipe and to get get away. And when the possession changes, he likes to get the ball in his hands and take off, right? And he gets that he gets going full speed, but still has the touch uh, to finish around the rim. And for Auburn, not only is Wendell Green a guy that already plays that style, it's very familiar to a lot of people at Auburn and at point guard that Bruce Pearl's really had a lot of success with. The second part of that is is that he's got a lot of he's got a lot of miles left, right? You know, he could, as Auburn's track record's going, he could blow up and and go to the league before he becomes a senior. I mean, that's pos- that's completely possible at this point with the way Auburn's producing the, uh, the, these drafts, these draftable and in these in these NBA type of talents. He could also be one of those players that other teams hate because they're like, oh my god, he's been here for six years. Right, and he's got all that left because this year doesn't count against his eligibility. He could potentially have four more years left if, he, if they clear him, and that's 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 like getting a guy like Auburn. You know, Auburn got Sharif, and then they turned around and got a really good point guard in, the, in Sharif's same class to kind of jump in and you know, I, I go back to something I wrote earlier in the year 
um, for a mailbag. Might have been, I think it might have been Pablo Escobar, our buddy, to, uh, asked the question. He was like, "Who would you go after if Sharif went pro?" And I think I made the point in there that I was like, "I would prefer um, if it, you know, if I if I was building a team, these mid-major transfers, because they're usually some of the highest performing transfers. Like if a guy leaves." a really good school, right, to go elsewhere, you kind of usually have somewhere it's like, all right, well, why was why is he not staying there anymore? And if it's coaching changes or whatnot, that makes sense. I mean, Auburn was going after Xavier Pinson, and I guess they still are, even though I'm pretty sure Wendell Green might – the Wendell Green pickup might scare him off. Of one that. would think that he's going to Arkansas. One would think. One would think. Um, but it's just, these, these Can't mid-major – Can't wait to be wrong about that one, too. Yeah, <laughs> you just – goes to georgia uh <laughs> nebraska they could use all uh, the help they can get uh by the way ty fagan ended up going going old miss i thought that was interesting look, look at look at kermit davis yeah i think he i think he fagan committed to kermit when he was at middle tennessee or something like that maybe something something along those lines mm. um anyway the the thing with the thing the thing with uh these these transfers is that Experience is experience, and we know that it translates well in college basketball. You make that jump up in classification, yeah, it might be tough early on, but like more often than not, when team when when players move up in classification, so to speak, with your conference play, when you go from a mid major to a conference like the SEC, you usually are pretty good because experience is experience. That's kind of the thing with college basketball. There's so much constant turnover, and there's so much changing all around that. If you just have college experience and good and quality college experience, it usually translates well. So I think that's where Wendell Green fits into the picture. I mean, this also seems a sign to me that Auburn's going to try to get back up to that like really really fast paced style. They were doing some of that with Sharif, but like I think this this is kind of a key. Him and him and Zepp Jasper, bigger two pickups and make a lot. And of course, Trey Alexander and Jabari Smith also would make a ton of sense in a run and gun scheme as well, but. If you're looking for Auburn to kind of get back to what they used to be in terms of style, Wendell Green's a good sign for that. Right, and I can convince myself, too, that if you think Scoot reclassifies or even if he doesn't, you might only get him for one year. I don't know. We'll see. At this point, as you mentioned, the track record might indicate that you're not going to have him for very long. So I, think I hope that at- have a couple of seasons with them. So people are asking, does this mean that you're def- like Auburn's definitely out with Scoot or – Ty Ty Washington. And I think it's it might be a little bit tougher to pull off Ty Ty Washington now. Yeah, yeah. Right? It might be. But, like, both of those dudes are big enough guards that if you wanted to put them at the two and not have them play the one all the time, right, if it, if they split time at the one with Wendell Green and you also can put them in the backcourt together, like, that makes sense, right? Like, you could, because it's a five-star, right? And I think Ty Ty might end up just being a four-star at the moment, but especially with the case of Scoot, if Scoot decides to reclassify, you could put him in a backcourt and just let him work because this is a guy who's a really good scorer. He likes to play above the rim. He's a slasher. He's also got some got good range about him that you don't necessarily have to lock him in as a quote-unquote point guard. Now, perfect world, he's probably going to be your initial playmaker a lot of times, but if he's willing to make the jump now and, and play for Auburn now, as people expect him, people expect him to play at Auburn, it's going to be a matter of when and not, if kind of at this point, but things change. You can convince yourself a lot more that, that Scooter Henderson could make sense in a world that also has Wendell Green on the same roster, right? Like that, like I'm not making that up. I don't think I, I, I see, I see some compatibility there. I think it's reasonable. And especially given how tough the guard spot was for Bruce, if he can bring in Scoot, I don't think he's going to hesitate to do it. I mean, you think about the lack of depth last season and, you know, there's some weird things that Bruce couldn't control, but like, I don't think he wants to get burned at that position with a lack of depth. Yeah, no, I, 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 regardless if everybody's healthy and it works out, Scoot's just a talented enough a player that, okay, like, find bounce him around. Yeah, you find, you find ways to get him on the floor, right? Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I think I think Wendell Green is going to be a perfect fit for what Auburn wants to do. I tweeted it when he committed on Friday. I said I made the go. He seems like he was like he was built in a lab to play basketball for Bruce Pearl, 
And then Bruce ended up retweeting that. So I think that might have been like a stamp of approval. Like, yes, that I agree with your assessment. So at least we got that right. At least we can yeah. get credit for that, right? Bruce Bruce thought burned. enough of that one. Yeah, I meant right. like with bad injuries, yeah. with you know, like not really a lot that he could control. But yes, right. love it when we get a little bit of uh when we get a little bit. Well, we loosely, but when yes. something at the observer goes well. You you uh you you proofread all my tweets. We we know that already. Um <laughs> No, I did not know Davis's middle name was Kermit, John Kermit Davis. So he has to do the thing in every introduction where he has to explain to people that his name is actually Kermit. Did you think Kermit was a nickname? Uh, I just assumed it was his first name. Like me, oh, he goes, okay, okay. Uh, not really important, but you know, Kermit's a different enough name that I imagine that how much different frog how- where it has to be like painter, like a painter. How much different would your life be if you went by Kenneth? Or Ken or Kenny? Uh, my dad's name is Kenneth. Right. He goes by Ken. So I guess it'd be a little bit more confusing, but introductions would be easier. You seem also, like you could be a Kenny. 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 No, I, yeah, I think, I think, I think that's, I think that would be a, that would fit you. I mean, painter definitely fits, but uh, just Kenny. <laughs> because uh, it's just odd. <laughs> well, we appreciate you, Bruce. Thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you for for validating my my scouting report, uh, my quick scouting report on on on. And but no, it just it makes a ton of sense, right? He checks a lot of boxes. I know he's not Pinson. I know he's not a five star coming in, but like y'all can get excited about this dude because I think he's going to play a good bet for Auburn, and like he seems to be ready. Uh, I said it in the in the scouting report, which you can read. Um, you know, if you're if you're a subscriber of the Observer, you know it became very apparent by the end of, by the end of the season, this past season that he should be playing basketball at a higher level than Eastern Kentucky. No disrespect to Eastern Kentucky or the great folks at the Ohio Valley conference. But that man, that man's got the potential to be a, like, if you are a freshman, if you are a true freshman and you are getting, you know, all conference honors and, you know, some freshman, all American honors at a school like Eastern Kentucky that didn't make the tournament, like, all right, man. Like you probably were, you probably were playing to playing above your uh, above your weight there, right? Like I, I think it was one of those things where Eastern Kentucky was very fortunate. He was a three star guard. He was top twenty, top thirty point guard in the country when he came out of high school. You know they they were very they were very fortunate to land him, and now it's just like oh well, you know bigger name programs want him. Auburn wanted him. Missouri wanted him. Mississippi State wanted him. I think TCU might have been in the mix for him again. Washington State uh, was. I think it's you know this is a this is a guy that it's not the you know ratings wise it's not the sexiest pickup you're going to get at point guard but man just turn on the film go watch the highlight tapes uh, Auburn fans if you want to check out one specifically about uh, of his highlights uh, go to YouTube uh, type in type in Wendell Green Jr. Uh, and then there's one called uh, it's four minutes and twenty two seconds it's called unapologetic the best point guard in college basketball Wendell Green Jr. That's a really good, it's a really well done mixtape that they did of him. But it shows kind of all the really the highlights and his full range of his game. This is a dude who's going to come in with a chip on his shoulder, and I think he's I think he's just going to be a perfect fit for what Auburn wants to do. It was very easy to see why Bruce Pearl got him. Very very easy to see. I think it just comes down to whether or not you trust Bruce, and, and you especially do, especially at this position. I think that's a no brainer. So count me in, ladies and gentlemen. I've never been wrong. Let's let's do a quick recap here, roster wise. All right, so we know this Auburn started last season with twelve scholarship players. They lost one Turbo Jones to the transfer portal. Uh, he's now at South Alabama. That gave him eleven. They signed two players, Jabari Smith and Trey Alexander, last November. That got him up to thirteen for this upcoming season. Then the moves happened. Justin Powell gone. Jamal Johnson hey. gone. Javon Franklin. Gone. Sharif Cooper declared for the NBA draft. And TBD on Thor. TBD on Thor. So nine for sure, eight potentially. You picked up Zepp Jasper. That's 10 at the moment. You picked up now Wendell Green Jr. That's 11 pending Thor as, as number 11. So you have two or three spots left on the roster for the 21-22 season. Where does that leave Auburn at? right now 
Um, the big one, of course, that everyone is going to want to talk about is Walker Kessler. Hmm. Walker Kessler is in the portal. North Carolina is going to try really, really hard to keep him in the boat, so to speak. Cube. Hubert Davis now in, now there at North Carolina as the as the head coach. They're going to try to bring him back in. He's been successful at keeping a couple people here. One of the people he did not bring in, though, and is in the portal Nate now. Oates. Not, not just Nate Oates. Um, Garrison Brooks. Yeah. Auburn High talent uh, and uh, Lafette native is in the portal. And murmurings? Are we getting any murmurings? I haven't heard anything, you know, directly that, hey, Auburn's going after him. I think Kessler was, is a top target for them. Yes. Uh, no doubt. But It would be dope if they poach two UNC players. <laughs> if they got two UNC. I don't think they need to, big men. Yeah, they got a lot of get... people in the front court. <laughs> and I guess if Thor, a lot of this depends on what Thor does. But, like, Kessler, again, like, Kessler makes a lot of sense in terms of, he brings an offensive skill set that they don't really have in the front court as a center. He's he's got a ton of size, and he's you know he's a former five star. He can do some things um, that you know other front court players at Auburn can't do. I think Garrison Brooks, if Auburn got in the mix for him, not only is this a local kid you bring back in, he's got so much experience, and he's a good you know scoring, rebounding big man. In college basketball, he's done it at a high level. He was ACC preseason player of the year last year. Like, he, there's a lot of talent there. So, I mean, we'll see what happens with Kessler. But, like, if you hear, hey, Auburn's going after after Garrison Brooks or is talking to him again, I wouldn't be shocked by it at all. I do think, though, with these couple of spots left, and, like, Noah Gurley is the Furman transfer is uh, apparently out there. Some people think that's Florida, you know, could, could be end up where he goes. I think Auburn's definitely going to get another big man, whether it's Kessler, whether it's Gurley, whether it's somebody else. Um, but like more names are going to come in. It's it's kind of like what we talked about in the mailbag with the football team. Like there's going to be more. They they sign off on that on that uh, that waiver. More and more people are going to come into the come into the uh, to the portal. And there's already been a ton of it in basketball, but I think it's going to only only increase in football as well. But you know, I I would expect to see Auburn try to get one more forward. We'll see what happens with Thor. And then, like, as we've said before, it's tough to get to 13 scholarship guys or guys you want to play because it's hard to keep them around. Like, you want to have them because you want to have depth in case something happens. And Auburn saw this past season the danger of not having enough depth at certain positions on the floor. But you're not going to play a 13-man rotation. So that's it's one of those – it's a delicate balance. And like I've said most of the offseason, I do not envy Bruce Pearl for having to do this right now because this is going to be a challenge. <laughs> It's going to be a real challenge. I don't know if there's a coach that I forget about more than Mike White. Mike White, a coach whose fan base does not like him at all. <laughs> I guess I don't envy him either, but I envy him. You know. He goes to the NCAA tournament, and they think he's garbage. Like I, 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 it's, 123 it's, and 75 yeah, as I mean, a head coach. I mean, they're not. he's not Billy Donovan, which I think is his biggest problem is He's not Billy Donovan. You know, it was always going to be hard for somebody to follow up being Billy Donovan, right? Um, yeah, it's but, impossible. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, different Man's reasons. Man's already on of his not, second in, NBA job. Yeah, different reasons of not envying those coaches. Like Mike White seems to be perpetually being talked about, run out of town, and Bruce Pearl has the unenviable job of trying to figure out what's the best lineup. I think I'd take Bruce's scenario for sure. I mean, Florida lost like six guys this off season, I think to the portal. I mean, Hey, there was a good mailbag question about Alabama and what they're doing. And since, you know, I haven't brought them up in a while. I thought you had a good answer <laughs> about, uh, NATO's is actually like, you know, they're going to lose a lot of experience, really but man, he's doing a great job of recruiting. Yeah, I think they got the number three recruiting class in the country right now. Like Auburn's Auburn's going to bring in really good talent, and I mean, they're going to be fun matchups moving forward. But it's not like Alabama's going to. I don't just I don't, drop off the face no, of the earth. I don't see Alabama tailing off. So sorry if you're thinking that's going to happen. Uh, it ain't going to happen. They're they're real good, real good. Is that where we're going to leave it? I think so. How about your Braves? 
the first weekend series was rough, the opening series, <laughs> because they were hitting the ball right at people and they were getting out. Meanwhile, the Phillies were kind of like popping around. Now, second game, they got absolutely blanked. But getting back into it, you know, 0 4 start, but they've they've won three straight now as of recording. You know, they play later tonight. Cunha's playing exceptionally well. They're getting pinch hit home runs like crazy, and we haven't even seen Soroka yet. So feeling good. Feeling good about the Braves early on. Hopefully, uh, Hopefully we get this second shot in. Might, might might have to head on over to Atlanta a little bit and and, and watch the Braves uh, because they they're a fun team. Not every baseball team's fun. This is a fun baseball team. Go yeah, Braves. Acuna fake fighting with whoever that guy is is also adorable. And he does it all the time too. It's like one of my favorite running gags in, in baseball. So it's always more fun when a sport like baseball has people who actually want to make it make it look fun. All right, that'll do it for this one. Uh, we had a lot to go here uh, about J.J. Pegues and the scrimmage and Bo Nix and uh, Wendell Green Jr. Like we said, we will have another podcast. We get ready for A-Day uh, later in the week. If you're a subscriber, $6 a month or $60 a year at AuburnObserver.com, sign up there. You can get it along with all the stories that we are doing. For the rest of y'all, we will talk to you next week after the A-Day game. Painter. Any final thoughts? Baker off the top rope with a pizza. <laughs> <laughs>